Well, if you would take your Bible and turn to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians in chapter number 2. And as you're turning over there, um, just to give everybody, bring everybody back up to speed, we're going through this series that we started last year called Continue in Doctrine. And we're looking at all the major doctrines in the Word of God. And we've looked at a lot of important ones already. We've looked at uh, bibliology, the importance of the Word of God. We've looked at theology, uh, the uh, doctrine of God and we, the study of God. Then we talked about Christology, uh, the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of pneumatology. And then two weeks ago, uh, we did uh, the doctrine of man. And then last week, we did the doctrine of sin. And now tonight, I am pleased to announce we are going to be starting the doctrine of salvation. Now, I was able to cover those other ones in uh, the last couple in one in one 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 sun or one Wednesday, one service. I, I'm not going to be able to do that with this one. I'm not even going to try, and uh, I don't want to skip over some things. This is an important thing for all of us to understand. For those of us who have been saved, it's just wonderful to continue hearing about our salvation and understanding our status in Christ. And then for those who are not saved, um, well, uh, we want to explain that to you. And I don't want to just zip through this in a super fast manner. I want to, uh, it'll still be brief compared to what we could, we could spend uh, months and, and months and months on it. But uh, we're going to probably spend about, uh, well, three or four weeks on it. And uh, I want to encourage you, if you have uh, somebody in your life that's not a believer, that's not saved, you're not sure about their salvation, uh, encourage them to come. Next Wednesday is a beautiful opportunity to do that because we have our Fellowship Meal Wednesday. You can say, by the way, what we're doing with that, once, or, once again, if you bring a guest, then they get to eat for free, and so do you. I know, you're like, three bucks off, whoopee. <laughs> hey! Three bucks is three bucks. That's a gallon of gas, my friend. Um, so um, I'm going to try to bring a guest because I'd like to have that free too. Um, but anyway, uh, just a great opportunity, though, to bring someone to hear about salvation because especially next week, we're going to get into a little bit more of the, uh, the nitty-gritty of um, what, what it means to be saved and, and how can someone be saved. Um, so your Bible's open to Ephesians chapter number two, and really this entire chapter, I, I debated about whether to read the entire chapter. Um, I do want to, but I think we'll just right now for to, to start with start with verses one through five. Uh, Ephesians two one through five, the Bible says this, and you, Paul's writing to this church at Ephesus. He says, and you hath he quickened or made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And then he says, he reminds them, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others." And then aren't you thankful for these next two words here in verse number four, but God. Uh, we, we were in a world of hurt in verse number three, but then verse number four, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. 
And then he says, by grace, ye are saved. Okay, let me read verse number seven, okay? <laughs> or number, verse number six. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I mean, it just gets better and better from there. Uh, but uh, this particular passage uh, really introduces the, um, is a good introduction, I think, to this uh, doctrine of salvation. And could we have a word of prayer before we get in and then uh, get into the message and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll jump into this. Lord, we do thank you for the opportunity to study uh, this precious, precious subject tonight. Lord, this is a, a good reason why you gave us this book that is laying in our laps tonight uh, to show us the way of salvation. And God, I pray that you'd help us to understand it tonight and as we go through the next several weeks of studying this. I pray, Lord, that um, you would clear up maybe some confusion uh, that may be in our minds regarding salvation. And Lord, if there's one here tonight that's not saved, I pray that you would draw them to yourself for salvation. For those of us who are, God, I pray that you would give us a, a renewed gratitude for what you have done for us. And uh, we'll thank you for all that takes place uh, as a result of this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there is absolute tremendous value in studying and learning more about our salvation. And I know that many Christians may think, or some Christians may think, well, I'm already saved, so why do we need to keep talking about that? Let's get into some exciting stuff. Let's get into prophecy. Let's get into the end times. I want to know what's going to happen during the tribulation period. Well, number one, we're not going to be here during the tribulation period. So, I mean, it doesn't really, I mean, that, that, there's value in studying that for sure. It's in the Word of God, and there's a promise in the book of Revelation that those who read the book of Revelation, there would be blessing. But there is still tremendous value in, in, in us learning about our salvation and learning about our relationship with Christ um, that has been settled on the cross. Uh, in fact, uh, the Apostle Paul, later in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 6 and verse number 17, as he's talking about putting on the whole armor of God, one of the elements of the armor of God that he tells us to put on is in verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So he tells us to put on the helmet of salvation, to be reminded of what God did for us, and uh, to keep that in the forefront of our brain and our mind and in our hearts. So to take the helmet of salvation. Hebrews uh, 2 and verse number 3, the writer of Hebrews says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Uh, we, we, we ought not to forget and neglect uh, what God has done for us and, and to keep it in the forefront of our mind. Now, before we get into the outline tonight, um, I need to let you know something, okay? I have some good news for you, and I have some bad news for you. Okay, when, when, when you're asked what that, like when I come home and my wife's like, hey, I've got some good news and some bad news. Um, I don't know if you've been ever, you know, presented with that, but uh, how many of you, when asked, uh, do you want the good news first or the bad news? And you, how many of you say, I want the good news first? Would you raise your hand? I want the good news. I got to hear the good news first. That'll help me deal with the bad news that comes later. How many say, let me, let me have the pain first. Give me the bad news first. Okay. That's me too. I like to hear the bad news first because then I can deal with that and the, and the good news will calm my uh, frustration after hearing the negative news. 
Well, what we're going to do tonight, we're going to do it the way I want to do it. We're going to look at the bad news first. Um, so that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to take some time to talk about, number one, the problems of salvation. Now, there's nothing, there's no problems with salvation, but there's problems as we, uh, um, when, when it comes to being saved, okay? There, there, there are some issues that we need to talk about, and I'll, I'll explain that. Now, uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, if your Bible is open there, if you jump down to verse number um, 12, he says that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. That's one of my favorite verses in the book of Ephesians. But verse number 14, for he is our peace who hath made both one, and listen to this, hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. So there is a significant problem that mankind has, and that is that there is a barrier between us and God, and one that we cannot take down on our own. And uh, he's, Paul speaks here of the barrier of separation which, which exists between God and man. And as long as this barrier exists, there is zero possibility, possibility of fellowship between God and man. The barrier or the middle wall of partition mentioned here referred historically to the dividing wall in the temple in Jerusalem. Okay, so there's the temple in Jerusalem and there was a, um, there was a dividing wall in that temple. And this wall ended up separating the court of the Gentiles from the rest of the temple and ended up excluding the Gentiles from the inner sanctuaries. But this wall was not just a physical wall, it was also a picture of the spiritual barrier that stands between us and God, which, which makes it impossible for man to access God's presence. Now the Jews, they could go beyond that dividing wall, but this was only because they had access through their God-given sacrificial system, which ultimately pointed to the person and work of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one who would one day make peace and remove that barrier. And that's what verse 14 says, for Jesus is our high peace who hath made both one and hath broken down that middle wall of partition between us. I mean, he removed that barrier that was between us and God, and I'm so thankful he did that. Now, what are some of these problems and barriers keeping us from God? All right, well, let me try to answer that question here with these three major uh, barriers here. First of all, letter A, the holiness of God. Now, obviously, as you know, this is letter A under the problems of salvation, and, and I don't want to give the idea that the holiness of God is a problem, okay? Um, it's not a bad thing, obviously, but it is a serious barrier to our salvation. Uh, and let's talk about it for, for a moment tonight. First um, Samuel 2 and verse number 2 uh, says this, There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. See, our God is holy. He's actually the thrice holy God in the book of Isaiah chapter 6, and in the book of Revelation chapter 4, we find God's holiness 
mentioned and declared three times. In Isaiah 6, uh, it says, Holy, Holy, Holy. And then in, in Revelation chapter 4, again, it says, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord um, Almighty. So, He is holy. And uh, Exodus chapter 15 and verse number 11 is another reference. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among gods, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? I mentioned Isaiah 6 and verse, in Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, well, verse number 3, the holy cherubim continuously proclaim the holiness of God. I mean, this was a continual thing. And uh, let, me, uh, let, me, let me turn over there. Um, Isaiah chapter number 6. Give me just a quick moment here. Isaiah chapter 6 is before Revelation and after Genesis, so somewhere in there. Okay. Uh, well, verse number 3, it says, And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And this was just a continual message and cry that they had for the Lord. Uh, just crying and, and, and declaring His holiness. Well, after seeing this in the vision of God's absolute holiness given to the prophet, Isaiah cried out in verse number 5, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. See, as Isaiah got to see God in His true holiness... Isaiah realized that there is a barrier between me and God because he is holy and I am not. Habakkuk spoke of the holiness of God as well, and he said, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. Now, that's, that's a problem because I'm filled with iniquity, and so are you. John, the Apostle John, wrote in 1 John 1 and verse number 5, God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. See, He is completely pure. He's completely holy. Emery Bancroft, in his book, Elemental Theology, said this, The holiness of God is His most exalted and emphasized attribute, expressing the majesty of His moral nature and character. This might well be called the emphatic moral attribute of God. If there is any difference in importance between the moral attribute, then God's holiness seems to occupy the first place. This is the one that would, would maybe be considered God's chief attribute. Um, but since they're all, all of His attributes are infinite, it's hard to really pinpoint that in our finite minds. But... He is indeed holy, and that is a problem. Now, it is impossible for God to do anything wrong or to have fellowship with anything less than His perfect righteousness. And this, again, leads to the problem because all of us are imperfect. And if you think you're perfect, you're lying, and so therefore you're not perfect, okay? Um, we're, we're, we're all imperfect, and we're all sinners in His sight. And so, since God is also perfect justice, which acts in complete accord with His perfect righteousness, He cannot be partial or unfair to any creature. And He must deal with uh, us in perfect justice. This means that um, all is, uh, this, this means all that is unrighteous or sinful must be judged and separated from Him. Because He's holy, 
and he cannot look upon iniquity. This is we're in trouble, folks. This is this is not a good. This, yes, it's a good thing. His holiness is a wonderful thing, but as a result of his holiness and our sinfulness, we're in trouble. Romans chapter 2 and verse number 5, it says, After thy hardness and impotent heart treasuredest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds? God will one day render to every man according to his deeds. And we find that in the book of Revelation as um, at the great right throne judgment when those without Christ will stand before God and they will be judged according to their works. And every one of their works is going to uh, be testimony against them and uh, they're going to end up in a place called the lake of fire. And uh, we're in trouble. So the holiness of God, while it's a wonderful thing to study, as we look at ourselves in light of His holiness, we're all in big trouble. And that's where the, this is kind of the bad news here. Don't worry, there's some good news coming. But first, we need to understand the bad news in order to appreciate the good news. All right, so first, the holiness of God is a barrier between us and God. And then, uh, well, it's a, it's a barrier. It's part of the, that, that leads to the barrier. Okay, then we have, uh, secondly, the sinfulness of man. And I realized last Wednesday we spent quite a bit of time talking about the doctrine of sin. <clears throat> but once again, let's, by way of review, go to Romans chapter number 3. And let's look again at the condition of man. And I, and I realize there's some, you know, moral people out there. There's some good people out there who are not Christians. I understand that. Um, and in fact, so does Paul as he writes the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 1, he deals with the immoral man, the one who is completely living by his flesh and doing that which he wants to do. Uh, and he, God has given him a reprobate mind and going down this horrible uh, list of sin in Romans chapter 1. Then we have in Romans chapter 2, the, the good man, the moral man, um, the one who thinks, hey, I, I'm, doing, I'm doing good. I haven't killed anybody. I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. You know, I'm an upstanding, I pay my taxes. You know, I drive the speed limit. I'm a pretty good guy. Um, some of us would do well to do that, me included, um, as far as the uh, speed limit thing goes. Uh, but then, uh, then there's the religious man a little later in Romans chapter 2. And, and uh, you know, the religious man will say, well, look, I, I, I've, I'm a religious guy. You know, I, I, I'm a member of a church. I, I, I'm involved in, in the things of God, and I'm uh, good. But those, um, those do not mean that you're, you're a believer and that you've been forgiven. Because notice, again, Romans chapter 3 and verse number 9. Romans 3 verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? When he's talking, when he's saying that, he's like, are we as uh, religious people better than those who are um, not religious? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. 
For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. That there's nobody that can say, well, look, I'm not, I, I, I'm not guilty before God. No, everyone is. Let's keep reading. Verse number 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Uh, there's not a one of us that can say, yeah, I'm, I'm perfectly righteous, and so God needs to accept me because I'm perfectly righteous. No, no, no. None of us are. Verse 11, there's none that understandeth, there's none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher, with their tongues have they used deceit. The poison of ass is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. And then look here in verse number 19. Now we know what things, um, that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And then verse 23, jump down here. Well, verse 22, I'm sorry. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of, uh, of Jesus Christ unto all, and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us has come short of the glory of God. Um, I know that there's people who may be not as bad of a sinner as I am. But all of us have sinned, and as a result, we come short of God's glory. We, we fall short of God's holiness that we talked about a moment ago. We fall short of that. In Isaiah 59, in verse number 1, Isaiah said this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. So our sin is a tremendous barrier. It's that middle wall of partition between us and God. See, Isaiah was reminding Israel that though God has the ability and desire to deliver men, he cannot act contrary nor are to nor bypass his perfect holiness. Now, when it comes to sin, um, we didn't exactly get into all this last time, and so I'll take a moment to cover this. So when we talk about sin, we're talking about three different types of sin. Okay, three different categories here. First, we have imputed sin. In Romans 5 and verse number 18, or 12, I'm sorry, the Apostle Paul says this, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world? And who was that one man? His name was Adam. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and then as a result of that, death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. See, this verse teaches us the fact of imputed sin. Adam, there in the garden, was the representative head of the human race. And because of our natural relationship to him, his sin is imputed, reckoned to the entire human race. And I'm thankful that while, why Paul is mentioning him there, it's not just to deliver the bad news, it's ultimately to, be, to deliver the good news. 
And uh, verse number 16 of Romans 5, it says this, And uh, not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift, for the judgment was by one to condemnation, uh, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one's man offense death reign by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. See, in verse number 19, for as by one man's disobedience many were made righteous, <laughs> made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. So he's kind of comparing Adam with Jesus Christ. And because of Adam's sin, all of humanity became sinners. That's imputed sin. Then in Christ, because of his faithfulness and his uh, obedience to the Lord, uh, to, to God the Father, and uh, he, uh, because of his obedience, many shall be made righteous. And I'm one of them who has been made righteous because of Christ's uh, obedience. So there's imputed sin, but then there's also inherited sin. The Bible teaches the fact that as the posterity of Adam, every child is born with a sinful nature inherited from his parents. Now, I mentioned this last week that you know when when we have we have four children. One of our oldest one is right here in this gray suit, and you know not one time did I ever have to you know explain to him. Okay, now Seth, here is how to sin. Okay, now you sit down. Let me show you how to lie. Okay, let me show you how to throw a temper tantrum. No, no. He came out of the womb a professional liar. An expert at throwing temper tantrums. Okay? And stealing and disobeying his parents. And blame shifting. And all of it. We can keep going. This is, this is, this is getting good, man. Okay? My chance to nail him for all the things. I was thinking back to one time when uh, uh, Luke still gets frustrated with this scenario. This is back when they were just little little boys, and uh, they both came downstairs, I think, to watch. We, my, my wife and I, were watching something on TV or or a movie or something, and and they wanted to come down and watch too. And uh, they had been put to bed. It was time for them to go to sleep, but they came down and started watching, and then. Um, Seth somehow slipped behind Luke and went upstairs when they, he saw me coming or something of this nature. And then Luke got caught, but Seth got to get to the room in time, and he acted like he was asleep. I mean, just the deception there. Okay? Um, I didn't have to teach him that. Although I could have because I did something similar when I was his age. Um, because the thing is, we, we inherited this from, from Adam. And uh, according to Ephesians chapter 2 here, uh, the, the passage we started with, Ephesians 2 and verse number 1, it says, uh, We were all dead in our trespasses and sins, and in time past we walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And then notice verse 3. Well, if you're not there, that's okay. I'll just mention this. Um, we had in our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And here it is. And we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So we inherited this. And the, the point is, the, the principle is that men do not sin and then become sinners. 
No, rather they sin because they are already sinners. Okay? So it's inherited. And then we have, thirdly, the individual or personal sin. This refers to the products of the sinful nature of an inherited sin. The actual deeds or acts of sin which all men do because they are sinful. It's kind of like our dog doing what dogs do because she's a dog. And she does some bad things, Miss Doris. Telling you, she. So okay, so you know, okay, she is a naughty dog, and I talk about Abby quite a bit, and I go home and I tell her, hey, I preached about you today. You know, maybe it's time for you to get right with God, and we won't have to, I won't have to bring you up in sermon illustrations anymore. Uh, but she continues to do dog stuff, and and uh, she's. We have a we have a Traeger. I was telling uh, I was telling the Everett's this, but we have a Traeger at our house that I got many years ago, and 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 we got a dog. We had the Traeger, and I left it out, and and you have to plug those Traegers in. I left it out, and she thought, "Ooh, a chew toy," and so she chewed right through the um, the power cord. She didn't do that one time. She didn't do it two times. She did it three times, and I had to. You know, redo it all and fix it, and have to go and get a new extension cord, and uh, trying to have a good spirit in my home, and not, you know, getting the flesh, and um, I didn't succeed all that well. <laughs> um, so she did those things because she's a dog, and guess what? You and I, we sin because we're sinners, and the things that um, we end up doing are all all part of that. Um, so individual sin, these are the actual acts of sin. All right, so this is a big barrier. Um, the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man, we're in big trouble. And uh, here's where it gets really difficult. Uh, thirdly, the penalty for sin. Okay, because of God's holiness and because of man's sinfulness, God's perfect justice must act against man to charge him as guilty and under the penalty of sin with a debt to pay and sentence to serve. We deserve the penalty for sin. And God needs to give us that penalty. The, old, the law of the Old Testament functions as a bill of indictment. It shows that man is guilty and under the penalty of sin. We, we, have the, uh, we have the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, yes, were given to um, you know, command us on how to live and, and to show us uh, the righteousness uh, that God desires in each of our lives, but it also was meant to give us, or to show us that we couldn't keep it on our own. That no matter how hard we try, we're not going to keep all of those commandments. I know there was a young man in the Scriptures who said, yeah, I've kept them all from my youth. And, uh, well, the, the truth is, I, I don't know how, how he did that. I don't think he did. I, I think he was overestimating his accomplishments. Because all of us have fallen and, and failed in every one of those areas. We, we, we haven't kept the Lord first in our lives at all times. I, I, I would think that all of us have lied and bear false witness before. And on the list goes. And, and it was meant to be our schoolmaster to show us that we needed a Savior and that we were sinners and that we were in big trouble. And so we have the penalty for sin. Now, for those who die without, the, without salvation, which we're going to 
get to the good part here in just a second. For those who die without salvation, what is the penalty for sin? Well, it's ultimately death. Remember what God told Adam? Hey, the day that you eat that fruit, you're going to surely die. And God kept his word. Now, it wasn't in that day that he died physically. He died physically much later on. But there was a spiritual death that took place, a separation from him and God, a broken fellowship. But for us, what is the penalty for our sin? It is death. Physical death, but also the second death. And the second death is referenced in Revelation 21 and verse number 8. Where it says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's the penalty for sin. All of us deserve that place called hell. Oh, it's not a fun place to talk about or think about, but it is a real place. And in fact, the truth of the matter is, Jesus spoke more about hell than he did heaven. To warn us about the penalty for our sin. Hell is a real place. It's a place of unquenchable fire. It's a place of wailing and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 13, verse 50, it says, uh, And shall cast them into the furnace of fire, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's a place of black darkness. There's no light in, heaven, in hell. Jude 1 and verse 13 says, Raging waves of the sea, foaming out of their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. So uh, in hell, it's a place of outer darkness. It's a place where there's no light. It's not like people think, oh, well, I'm going to go to hell and have a good time and, you know, drink with my buddies and we're going to live it up in hell and do what we want to do. That's not what hell is. It's a place where there is uh, darkness. You're not going to be able to see anything. All you're going to be doing for all of eternity or all those who are there for all of eternity are that they're listening. And what they're listening to are the wailing and gnashing of teeth for all of eternity. Remember when my mom had cancer and, um, and went into remission. Um, and then after it came back, it came back with a, with a vengeance. And when it came back, she was in tremendous pain. I remember, I remember getting home from going to Bible college in the morning, then going to work at Staples in the after, afternoon, evening, and then getting back trying to work on Greek homework, uh, which was never fun, no matter what time of the day <laughs> it was. Uh, but I was doing it at night, and I was at home, and my mom was in her room, and she was in such pain that she was moaning and I, the best way I can explain it is she was wailing because of the pain that she was experiencing with this cancer that was really overtaking her body at this point. I cannot imagine hearing that for all of eternity. I wanted to, you know, we didn't have noise-canceling earphones in those days. Had we had those, I would have definitely had them on. There are no noise-canceling earbuds that you can put on in hell. You're going to have to hear this for day after day for the rest of eternity for those who um, die without salvation. It is, a, it is a permanent place. 
In Matthew 25 and verse 41 says, Jesus said, Then he shall say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And by the way, just a reminder, uh, hell was not created for you and I. It was created for the devil and his angels. And so every person that goes to hell is in fact an intruder. They are trespassing. It was not meant for any one of us. 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Yes, God is holy. Yes, we are sinners. But God is also long-suffering, and He is loving, and He's merciful and gracious to provide us a way of salvation. It was in um, 1997, Chinese firefighters finally succeeded in putting out a, get this, 400-year fire. The fire in this coal field started in 1560. The fire consumed over 127 million tons of coal before it was finally extinguished. 400 years this fire burned and burned and burned. But it's nothing in view of eternity. You see, the fires of hell will never end or ever be put out. And that's the penalty for our sin. And that's the big problem, my friend. But there is some good news, and let me just briefly get you there, and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up tonight. Number two, not only the problem of salvation, but the provision of salvation or for salvation. See, God did provide a way because He is gracious. And His grace and His holiness do not uh, compete with each other. There's no uh, collision there. It's, it's in perfect harmony. And I think of the, uh, the wording that Abraham used when on the way up to the Mount Moriah when he was told to offer his son Isaac there as an offering for the Lord. And, and this, is, this is just... I love the, the play on words here, the double meaning. In Genesis 22, in verse number 7, as Isaac is walking up this mountain, he doesn't realize that he's going to be the one sacrificed. And he notices kind of what's going on here, and he says, you know what, I, I, I need to ask a question. Um, so verse 7, Isaac spake unto Abraham, his father, and he said, my father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Here am I, my son. He said, I, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? I, I see the fire, I, I see the wood, but uh, don't, we need a, don't we need a lamb to sacrifice when we get to the top of the mountain? I love what verse uh, 8 says. Abraham said to his son, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. Now, he was thinking that God was going to provide a lamb in this scenario, but, but one day God would provide himself as the lamb so that we could have a way of salvation. And then Jesus indeed one day came as the perfect, spotless, sinless Lamb of God. And when He came on the scene, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And Jesus did live a perfect and sinless life. 
He laid down his life on the cross of Calvary and shed his blood as the perfect lamb so that we could have a way of salvation. You see, God did provide a way of salvation. And by the way, it's the only way of salvation. There's not multiple ways of salvation. There's only one. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Just a quick illustration to help you understand what Jesus is saying there. Dr. Curtis Hudson, who was a pastor years ago and is in heaven now, he told this story. And uh, he was bivocational. He was a pastor and then also worked at the post office. And he said, when I worked at the post office, a lady came in and said, you know, preacher, the way I see this business about heaven is, we're all at the post office this morning. You came up Covington Highway and out Candler Road, and you're here at the post office. So-and-so came through Panthersville, and, and he's here. Well, I came through East Lake Park, and, and I'm here. So she went on to describe how a number of people had all arrived at the post office, none having come the same way. And when she finished, she said, Now that is the way it is about heaven. We're all working for the same thing, and as long as we're sincere, we're all going to go to heaven when we die. And she asked, What do you think about that? And I imagine she probably had her hand on her hip, you know, maybe snapped it, a couple snaps. What do you think about that? Dr. Curtis Hudson said, There's only one thing wrong with what you just said. Um, when we die, we're not going to the post office. <laughs> See, there are many ways to the post office, but there's only one way to heaven, and it is through a relationship with the Lamb of God who laid down His life on the cross for you and for me. He did provide a way. There is provision for salvation. Yes, God is holy. Yes, we are sinful. And yes, there is a penalty for sin, but God in His love and His mercy decided to send His only Son to this earth so that we would not have to perish, but that we could have everlasting life. See, one day uh, I was reading about Vice President Calvin Coolidge when he was vice president and presiding over the Senate, one senator got pretty angry with another senator. And he told that other senator to go straight to hell. The offended senator complained to Coolidge as presiding officer. And Mr. Vice President looked up from the book he had been leafing through while listening to the debate. And he said, I've been looking through the rule book, and you don't have to go. <laughs> you don't have to go. So, sir, ma'am, yes, we all deserve to go, but we don't have to go because there is a provision for salvation. You don't have to go. We deserve to go. Every one of us do, including me, especially me. But we don't have to go because God provided a way. God provided a lamb. God provided himself a lamb. God provided himself as the lamb. So that you and I could be saved. So that our sins could be washed away. And so that uh, we would have fellowship with him. Praise the Lord. We don't have to go. 
Though everyone deserves to, God has made a way provision. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. But I did want to at least say, God has made a way. And it's not through anything we can do. In our text that we read at the very beginning, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, later says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of works. Yeah, that's not right. <laughs> it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. See, when we get to heaven, it's not going to be about what we did. We're not going to get to heaven and say, Hey, Seth, what did you do to get here? Seth's not going to be saying, Well, I was a pastor's kid. I was raised in a pastor's home, and that's why I'm here. Or, and I went to Bible college, and that's why I'm here. And I even got to preach once at church. That's why I'm here. I uh, have gone door knocking many times. Many Saturdays I've gone door knocking. That's not why Seth's going to, that's not what he's going to say when he, when he gets to heaven. And we have that conversation. I'm going to say, why, how'd you get here, Seth? He's going to say the same thing that everyone there has said. And that is, I'm only here because of His grace and His mercy. It's nothing I did. It's, as what Paul said here, grace, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. I simply received the gift, and I believed it by faith. And so tonight, if you're here and you're not a believer, I want to encourage you to come to Christ tonight and be saved. He's made a way for you to be saved. He didn't have to do that, but in His love and in His grace, He decided to do that. And so I want to encourage you to come to Christ. For those of us who have been saved, let's be thankful, uh, afresh and anew for our salvation. Because we were in big trouble before we got saved. Serious trouble. But praise the Lord, He made a way of escape for us. Let's pray together, and then we'll look at some prayer requests tonight. Lord, I do thank you for the opportunity tonight to discuss uh, this so very important subject called salvation. And Lord, it's encouraging to hear about the fact that you provided a way for us, even when it looked so... We were doomed. We were absolutely doomed. And there was zero way we could earn our way to heaven. We're so grateful for your love and your grace that made a way possible for us to be saved. You sent your Son to take our payment, to take the wrath that was meant for us, to taste it for us. He tasted death. The one who is the life tasted death for every man. Lord, it's mind-boggling that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. It, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. We, we can't really wrap our heads around it. But Lord, we believe it, and we're thankful for it. And God, I pray that you would help us, Lord, tonight to be thankful for our salvation afresh and anew. And help us, Lord, to be encouraged to share that message of salvation with those around us as well. And uh, Lord, I, if there's one here tonight that hasn't trusted Christ, I pray, Lord, they would talk to one of us and get that settled tonight. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.